Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest weekly podcast. This week it's it's the dream double. It's me and me and my wonderful colleague, my great pal, Andy Dunn. Um, so it's the Mirror Dream Team and um, talking all things Champions League. Looking forward to um, Premier League return. And obviously a Man United in quest to boo as well, really, which falls into the, into the Champions League re- remit, I, I guess. And, uh, Andy, you, you've been at both. I mean, we were both together at um, Old Trafford Tuesday, weren't we? And then also we should start with Newcastle last night, St. James' Park. It was one of those where, blimey, I was watching the events unfold on, on, on the TV and the table was going sort of kind of crazy all night, really. But eventually, you, you know, Newcastle finished bottom. It's been a fantastic, you know, campaign, isn't it? Really exciting. But ultimately, they've won one game, finished bottom, and, 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 and you know, and it's a case of what might have been really so close. Yeah, well, that was the... Um... That was the the balance, the awkward balance of feelings last night within the ground. I was there at St James Park last night, and you know, for so long, um, certainly during the first half, um, when news came through that PSG were not winning, and obviously Joel ended up scoring after half an hour, and there was an atmosphere like you could only get at St James Park. It was fantastic. It was vibrant. And then, of course, we know what unfolded. And then after Warren folded, it's very interesting. And I think the reaction this morning is interesting. The reaction that I heard on the radio on the on the long drive home from Newcastle was interesting. And it, it's like split into two camps. Was it some sort of um, brave failure, a learning curve, um, mitigating circumstances with injuries, uh, the first time back in the Champions League for two decades? Or in the cold light today, was it, was it a stone cold failure? You know, in the bottom line is they, you know, took four points from their opening two games, and from then on, you know, blew it. And 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 the bottom line is they blew it last night. You know, they, they did the game. The bottom line is they had they won that game. They would have been in the Champions League knockout stage, and that game was there to be won. A half time. I said to several colleagues down having a cup of tea at half time that I, I could see no way back. In, in that game for AC Milan. I thought Newcastle were by far the best team. I understand they tied. I understand they had other injury problems. Trippier went off. Um, I didn't realise Rancy Gordon 
when he went off, that was with a, a fitness issue as well. But even so, that game was there for the taking. You know, a little unfortunate in the sense that, you know, there's a fantastic save from um, um, Michael Magnier in the AC Milan goal um, to tip that Guimaraes shot onto the crossbar. But even so, Eddie Howe this morning, he said the right things. He said, you know, I want to get back in the Champions League. I want to use this as motivation now to regain our form in the Premier League. But he'll be sat there this morning. He'll have gone home last night. And he'll have known that they've blown a big chance, not just to stay in Europe, but to be in the Champions League knockout stages. And in the end, John, if, if, if you if, if you want to be, if we listen to Amanda Stavely talk about how this club not only wants to be in the Champions League, wants to win it, not only wants to compete for the top four in the Premier League, wants to win it, then you've got to be judged immediately in the context of that. And in the context, you know, they failed to qualify from a group in which at one stage they were in a very good position. Yeah, and it what struck me also, and what's the game last night, you know, I've seen AC Milan, um, you know, this season as well and watched them last season. They're not a very good team, really. I mean, I think you have to take that in context, you know, and basically it did, you know, Newcastle got done on the sucker punch. If you analyse the game in isolation just for a moment, it felt like, you know, that's naivety coming through, you know, Champions League naivety. I mean, you know, I guess you could argue it's football naivety, really, because you're piling forward, you know, in search of another goal to secure your Champions League when actually 1-1 keeps them in Europe and secures Europe, you know, Europa League. But I don't know, where, 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 do, you, where do you stand on that? Because they're really, I mean, Tamori was sensational, wasn't he? I mean, he's just brilliant. Lau's a good player. Giroud is a good centre-forward. Pulisic is, a, you know, is a, they've, got, they've got decent... Name, but it's it's not a classic AC Milan team, is it? It's not. It's not a classic AC Milan team, but they did well last season. They went deep into the competition last season. Substitutes made an impact. Um, I agree. I thought Tomori had a good game. Obviously, um, getting in front of Almiron early on. If Newcastle had scored earlier than they did, and Eddie Howe referenced this, then um, I think they would have gone on to win the game. I thought they would win the game anyway. It's an interesting what you say there about. I, I don't buy into the idea, and neither did the manager, and, and I'm totally with him on that. The idea that they might have just held on and tried to shut up shut up for a draw so they could stay in the uh, stay in Europe and get in the Europa League, it's against... It should be against the instinct of any big team. You're not a big team if you do that. You're a big team if you know that if you win the game, you give yourself a chance. As it happens, you would have given yourself a place in the last 16 they could have done it, as I say. You know, it is fine margins. That you know, you know, the, the Bruno Guimaraes shot when it was one-one. If that goes in, instead of going up onto the bar, they probably win the game. Um, and they open themselves up to to the counter attack. I had this shut up shop. Are they really? Have they got that in them? Then I'm not sure they have. You know, they conceded four at Spurs. They conceded three at Everton. You know, this isn't a team at the moment with the personnel they've got that can shut up shop. What's interesting is the feeling around. You know, a, a couple of um, a, a couple of people who shall remain nameless, let's just say, in, in the um, in the press box. I think they're being slightly mischievous um, by sort of suggesting that you know it, it is Eddie Howe. He just does he quite get things over the line? You, you know, he, he doesn't quite 
actually finished the job off in terms of winning trophies, in terms of qualifying this time around and, and whatever. And it, it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one. Blimey, you're not, you're not suggesting he might have to forego his cake at the end of the season in the final press conference, surely. There's no Christmas cake, that's for sure, after last night. There was a few. You, you know, the fans, John, the fans last night, I mean, they are unbelievable. I mean, we, we know that. I know it sounds like a bit of a cliche, but it's absolutely true. They were fantastic. They, you know, stood, they stayed, they applauded Eddie Howe, they applauded the players. Um, they sang his name. However, there were people there who genuinely think now now that the expectation has been has been raised dramatically around St. James Park by the takeover, by the way, the how it has started there over the last you know year and a half, two years, the expectations are high now. So so again, I go back to it in the cold light today. Um, even the diehard fans are probably sat there this morning thinking, you know, what a shame that we're not in those knockout stages come February because we would have fancied anyone here at St. James Park. And we were, you know, one half of football against an AC Milan team who, as you say, not a vintage team. We're one half away from the football from getting us. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm being disingenuous about AC Milan because what they did a couple of years ago in winning the Serie A title, you know, w- was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal, and basically, you know, it was a remarkable achievement built on many of that squad um, that, that, that 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 still remain. What I mean to say is really, I mean, last last season, how they, how they kind of got past Spurs, you know, was was, was is guess, and it was just you know, and again, I just felt like you. At one nil, at one one, they're there for the taking, really. And I think a Newcastle team, in fairness to them, with all their players fully fit and a fully fit squad, by which I mean no one's carrying a niggle, no one's feeling fatigued, they blow that team away, in my view, you know, in fairness to them. And I do think that they would have won that game. But I think you raise a really interesting point about Eddie Howe, just in terms of, you know, he's. He, he has done one of the most remarkable jobs in football and, you know, built a team. It, it's so easy, isn't it, when you when you have incredibly wealthy new owners, new backing, to go for the superstar signings, get it wrong, and basically, you know, you're then this sort of way down with these, you know, stars that are sort of maybe over the hill or whatever and basically don't really want to know, not going to take you to the next place and actually weighing you down with their lengthy contracts. But actually what he's done to sprinkle it with some some magical players and then but also kind of have a real hardcore spine, a backbone in, within that dressing room to, to build a squad, I think is is a fabulous job. But you, you do raise a good point, Andy, and then basically where, you know, what happens now? You know, do, do they go back to back to kind of where they start, you know, do they do they do they finish in the top four for you? Do you think they basically get back in next season Champions League? I think it's a big ask. I I, I think it really is. I, I honestly think it really is. I look around and I would say now I know it's only still relatively early, you know, sixteen games into um into the season. Um I do see a possible um separation coming um between maybe Arsenal, Liverpool, Man City, even though obviously Villa are above them at the moment. I, I see Arsenal, Liverpool, Man City as the three main contenders. Um, that's no disrespect to Villa, who I saw last Saturday were fantastic. Um, 
And then if you think the battle for that fourth place could be, or hypothetically, of course, could be between Aston Villa, Spurs, um, I don't see Man United the form they're on, but say Aston Villa, Spurs, and then Newcastle. And I was just alarmed. I saw Newcastle at Everton um, and obviously saw them on TV um, on um, Sunday evening. And I know they've got desperate injury trouble. I know I know they've got a very, very depleted squad, and that was that was evident last night. Although to be fair, even though he had five outfield even though he, he only had five outfield players on the bench, they were decent players. Um well I'm just a bit alarmed by their form. Alarmed by their away form. They've only won one. Um, away game in the Premier League this season, that hammering of Sheffield United. Um, and again, I do think last night will have an effect on Eddie Howe. He, he cut a... He, he tried to put a brave face on last night, but he cut quite a dispirited figure, understandably so. I mean, that was a painful exit. So I think they really have got... I think it'll be a far greater achievement this season if Eddie Howe finishes um, in the top four than it was last season. Considering the issues they've had, considering they've had the demands of the Champions League, I don't think they're going to be able to strengthen massively in January. So I think it'll actually be a, a, a better achievement for Newcastle United and Eddie Howe if they finish fourth this season like they did last season. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm inclined to agree, actually. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Now, from, from moving from one disappointment uh, in Champions League to an absolutely catastrophic result for Manchester United as well, really. Um, I mean, to be out of Europe, to finish bottom of a group which also features Galatasaray and FC Copenhagen. I mean, blimey, Bayern Munich are fantastic campaigners. But to f- mess up that group, to only achieve one win in that group, concede 15 goals. I mean, for Man United and for Eric Ten Hag, that's a disastrous return, isn't it? I mean, does that does that tell a story of a of a team that really, which appears to be going backwards uh, uh, under this manager, with uncertainty reigning supreme off the pitch as well? I mean, how on earth do you turn around this the juggernaut that is Man United? I don't know. I mean, we were there, and the alarming one of the many many alarming things that the, the that we witnessed on and heard on um, on Tuesday night's Old Trafford was that there was no real anger, there was no real outrage from the fans, there was no particular unrest. Most of them couldn't even be bothered singing about the Glazers um, that night. They couldn't be bothered singing about anything. And as we all know, that is the worst thing. Indifference is the worst thing. A passive acceptance of basically, this is, we are where we are. We're not a truly elite football team anymore. We can't really go toe-to-toe with Bayern Munich, just as we really can't go toe-to-toe with, say, Manchester City. Um, we are what we are. Nothing's happening on the ownership front. I'm sure Jim Ratcliffe will come in soon. It's like these sort of thought processes that 
go through the minds of United fans that I know and I socialise with and all those fans who were there on an atmosphere, in an atmosphere that was unbelievably flat on Tuesday. And it was flat because from the first whistle in a game, United simply had to win. Nothing else would have done. Um, they simply had to win. As it happens, that wouldn't have been enough anyway to get them through to the knockout stages. However, it was a game they had to win, a marquee game, a huge occasion, under lights, old traffic, and it was flat. And it was flat from the first whistle to the very last whistle, apart from the Bayern Munich fans who made it something of an occasion. That was all. And that's the worst thing, uh, uh, John. It's, it, it's the worst thing. It's the type of, you know, there's a, now almost an acceptance the this thing isn't going to be turned around anytime soon, you know, and how can it, how can it when, when you literally have a squad and you look through the squad and you think, okay, let, let, whatever the debate about the manager, you look through the squad and you think, who is going to turn these players around? There's so many players who just simply have proved themselves not up to that very, very um, toughest challenge. And you, you sit in, you can name, you can name, well, you can name a dozen, so. Yeah, what what strikes me, Andy, is that basically, what's the identity of Ten Hag? You know, what what's the identity of the, of this team? What's the, you know, I mean, I know he's signed and maybe been unlucky with players like a Mason Mount, who I do think that you know can add some quality to to United. I know he's already dividing United fans, but I think he's a good player and. Uh, he's obviously had bad luck with injuries. Um, Ten Hag's had bad luck with injuries, and but genuinely, you know, did, are we any closer to knowing really what this United team is? I always think a team that is going to be in any way successful, you have a almost a template of a of a formation. You might have sort of kind of the best eleven with obviously players coming in and out. But where are United going with this? You know, they signed a raw striker for big money. Listen, he might be a very, very good player. I think he's got good signs. But we just don't know. But we're talking about Man United. And the basic sign, taking a bit of a punt on the player who's young. And I don't know, it's sort of kind of, Nana's been a disaster, hasn't he, basically? Bearing in mind he's coming for big money and replaced you know, David Dyer, who's obviously not great at playing out from the back, which is the way Ten Hag wants to go. But, you know, the defence looks, you know, what's going to happen with Casemiro, so good last season. Sancho, you know, Varane. Is it, I mean, these are all players that are relatively relatively new signings and they're, you know, being cast away as if, you know, they're absolutely huge big money mistakes in no time at all. It's It looks an absolute shambles from the outside, really. It does. I do think, you know, and I know this term identity gets used a lot um, and I know where you're coming from. I do think they have, I think they have, uh, you know, again, for want of a better word, identity, they're a counter-attacking team. If they are simply a counter-attacking team, they're not a, and Ten Hag would explain that away by saying that he hasn't got the personnel. Remember Rolf Rangnick said when he left Post in, in May of last year, obviously after what? Six months as interim manager, he said within within two or three games he realised that he couldn't play the the high press, hard pressing game that he was famous for. That he was one of these coaches that was renowned for. He said he soon realised he couldn't play it because he simply didn't have the personnel to um, who were capable of doing it. And I think that's still the case. I generally think that's still the case. I generally think they can't play like a lot of other elite teams with that, you know, hard-running, high-pressing um, 
style because they simply haven't got the personnel to do it. They haven't got the, the personnel in the midfield to do it. They haven't got the strikers. They haven't got the attacking bodies who will do that sort of job. Anthony's not going to do that. Gennaro's not going to do that. Rashford's not going to do that. Anthony Martial's not going to do that. So they can't play like that. They can't press from the front because they simply haven't got those players who are either A, capable, or B, even more worrying, willing to do that. That's the problem. So they then play on the counter-attack, which you know, how many times we see United now in a game when they play what we would call blue-chip opposition, you know, your Cities, your Bayern Munichs, your Liverpools, your Arsenals. How many times do we see them have more possession than the opposition? I'm guessing now, well, an, an educated guess, I'm, I'll, I'll say never at the moment. That you know, I can't remember a game when United have had the lion's share of possession against a truly good team. And I'll tell you what, I would even go as far as to say, I don't know, if we went through them, there'll be very few games even against what we might call lesser teams in the league or lesser funded teams. So the identity of the team is they is, is they seem to have to play on the counter-attack, as they tried to do against Bayern Munich um, at home on Tuesday night, and they probably had 41% possession, maybe 43. And no more than, they should have done in the mid-40s, one shot on targets in the end. The problem you've then got is on the counter-attack then, if... If, if they're not, if that's not working well, which it hasn't been, if you've got a forward line like we had on Tuesday of Ganacho, Hoyland, and um, Anthony, and each one, I have to say, just just perform like individuals. There was never any suggestion anything that I think that Garnacho or or um, Anthony, when they got it their main aim was to try, you know, and play Hoyland in. I didn't get that just at all. I got got three individuals playing in a forward line that should be playing together, and hence they caused literally no threat whatsoever. The strikers aren't caused any threats. Strikers aren't scoring for Manchester United. Other than what? Martial got one late in the game against Everton, and Rashford scored from the spot. Apart from that, nothing, absolutely nothing. And, And again, what you've gone through there also goes to the root of the problem, the very root of the problem, the very foundation of the problem, which is the recruitment over not just the 18 months that Eric Ten Hag has been there, and he must take some of the blame for that because, you know, quite a few of these signings are his signings, you know, Anana is his signing, you know, Anthony is his, his signing. But the recruitment has just been dreadful, you know, absolutely dreadful. Your, your proof of your recruitment is, is, is how they perform, and cities, uh, cities, but I mean, United signings have just been... Well, nothing short of woeful. Yeah, two 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 things for you. Mm-hmm. Is Ten Hag still the is still the right man? Does he still have the players? And then also, is Ten Hag Man United manager first day of next season? I don't think he is Manchester United manager first day of next season. I think he will be given until the end of this season. I think this season will peter out for Manchester United. Um, I don't see them making top four. Um, they may have, you know, they've got the FA Cup and they may have some success in that, but of course that's not guaranteed. Um, a Manchester United manager, his job, as Louis van Gaal very well knows. Um, I think that the, the, the new, eventually, Jim, Sir Jim Ratcliffe will come in, take charge of the football operations that we're led to believe. I think he'll see what happens in, in the next um, five or six months. Um, but I don't think that United will qualify for the Champions League. And I think that will be a point where 
they will say to Eric Ten Hag, thank you. Because, listen, I, I like Ten Hag. I think he should be given until the end of the season if he miraculously turns it around and if United finish top four um, and have a good run in the FA Cup, then then he might well stay. But realistically, and I'm speaking as someone who has been a supporter of what Ten Hag um, has been doing at Manchester United, who thinks he had a good first season um, and should be given time. If you ask me honestly, do I think he'll be in that Manchester United dugout, whatever you call it, Old Trafford, at the start of next season? I don't think so, no. No. No, it's sad, really. I do think, I do, you know, it, it was always a debate whether he would have the gravitas, the experience, the stellar quality, you know, basically coming from all said and done, you know, I know it sounds remarkably patronising the Dutch league. I think that was the biggest That was the biggest thing against him, wasn't it? And the signs were good, in fairness, in the first season, I, d- I would argue. They're basically, but it's just this lack of progression this season, which is the obvious it is the obvious stepping stone, isn't it? Isn't holding holding him back really? But but I tell you what, Andy, I'm I'm going to ask you about <laughs> another manager that was in the headlines at the start of the week with quite a remarkable statement. Your favourite, the media darling, Maurizio Pochettino. I mean, wow! <laughs> after losing, after losing at Everton, in fairness, it was a game that they could have won. I don't know whether you'd agree, but then basically, you know, they've ended up losing and basically squandered chances. Clearly, goals are an issue. Clearly, a striker is an issue, despite all the millions and now a billion pounds spent under under this ownership. I suppose it's Christmas and so basically you know Pochettino's got the begging bowl out and saying please sir can I have some more but I mean it's just it's just it's just remarkable isn't it but it, it, can any manager turn around Chelsea's fortunes well yes I mean with the sorts of backing that the managers get at transfer marks I'm sure they can I, I wouldn't put it past Pochettino to do it what I would say just quickly going back to Sunday's game um I actually thought they played. I went to Sunday's game, um, and I actually, and I also saw them in their previous game against um, Manchester United Old Trafford. And I actually thought they played better at Goodison. I actually think that I look back on that game, and they had um, they had majority possession. I thought they played some quite good stuff. I thought, I thought Mudrick looked particularly dangerous, but they just couldn't get the right combinations in the final third. They really couldn't, you know. And Everton just did what Everton are really doing well in the Dijs, and that stuck in there, defended resolutely. Um, Branthwaite and Tarkowski were excellent, defended resolutely, and then took advantage of Chelsea's vulnerability at the back, which, you know, um, which is obvious. But it's interesting, because I, I, I saw them on the Wednesday, and I think the front three then was Mudrick, um, that's against United, this was, Mudrick, and Sterling and Jackson. But then against Everton, he started with Mudrick, um, Broger, and uh, it would be the um, other one. Mudrick, Broger, I can't remember. Wouldn't have played Palmer up. No, he didn't play Palmer up. Palmer played. But anyway, he... Um, it's just gone out of my mind. But, but, but what I'm trying to say, he, he only started one of those, one, one of those three, which... Um, which made me think, you know, he, he clearly doesn't know which combination is best. So, um, 
But down through the middle, I saw Jackson start against United. I saw Brody start against Everton. And, and, and neither, it is quite obvious, are going to be um, anything like the type of player who's going to be able to spearhead a Chelsea challenge to get into the Champions League. Now, we know he's got injuries that can come in and could go, will eventually come back. However, it is clear that that is the area in which he needs strengthening. I was, after I saw Chelsea United, I, I was quite critical of them. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been as critical on Sunday um, of them. And I wasn't there working on Sunday. So I, I wouldn't have been as critical of, the, of them on Sunday. And I know it sounds laughable for him to say, okay, we need reinforcements, you know, when they've spent, you know, a billion pounds over the last three transfer windows. But they're not his players, you know, and and, and he's coming into a squad that, that, you know, many of those he won't think fit his vision. But listen, he's got loads to prove, Pochettino, hasn't he? And, and they can't keep losing games like this. But surprisingly, I'd be a bit more lenient on him at the moment um, after, after Sunday. And I'd be... Not as, you know, I don't think it's as farcical as it sounds for him to suggest that he needs maybe two or three players who he really, really trusts, players who he might know, and he thinks will do a job for them. So, so no, it sounds daft that, they want to, that he wants them to spend more money, but I can understand why. Well, it's good to, good to hear you speaking up for Podge. Yeah. Yeah, which is refreshing. Refreshing. And listen, on Chelsea. And they had a nice party on Sunday nights as well. I know. Yeah, that was remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. But there you go. Nothing like nothing beats a beats a sort of heavy defeat, the humiliating defeat away from home, quickly followed by a Christmas party. I, I mean, it's just great. Which was quickly quickly turned into a justification, presumably, sort of kind of to give it context. Um, which was basically it was good bonding session, important for the players. Good bonding, yeah. Good, good luck with that. Organised by Rich Hughes, who just got crocked again. I know, terrible. <laughs> um, but anyway, anyway, remarkable story. He needs a centre forward. That's the biggest thing. He needs a centre forward. You know, Nicholas Jackson, thirty million quid. You're joking, aren't you? There's peanuts in there in the in this market. But anyway, but I'm being facetious, really. There's something there in Jackson, but no one's quite unlocked it yet. Um, but look, I was just going to finish on Manchester City. Really, I mean, obviously heading off to the Club World Cup. You know, um, I, mean, I thought it was a great story, the ball boy, you know, sort of thing from the other night and sort of kind of in the Champions League. Great, 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 great story. And I love the way that I think it was Mike McGrath from the Telegraph recognising his voice, you know, showed um, uh, showed Pep in the press conference the clip of, you know, and Pep, you know, genuinely looked quite quite surprised by the story. It's a good story. Andy, what, what, where, where does the Club World Cup fit in for City? Where does it fit in for Premier League teams? Is it, you know, it could be, um, you know, a remarkable return of trophies for City in this calendar year, couldn't it? To that end, you know, is it, is it, is it worth winning? Is it worth, you know, is it worth as much as perhaps? I don't think English teams take it as nearly as serious as the rest of even Europe, let alone the world. And I think that's a great shame. So I really hope kind of City fly the flag. Do you feel the same way? Well, listen, English fans do not take it um, anywhere near as seriously as, for example, South American fans. Now, in South America, they always have the suspicion that, well, English teams and fans take it seriously if they win it. They'll boast about it, but they when they don't win it, they'll say, oh, English fans pretend that we weren't bothered anyway. Um, 
And to a certain extent, I don't think I don't think um, fans are particularly bothered. I don't think City fans are particularly. It's on top of their their agenda. And I think if you said, for example, you can win your, you can be guaranteed to win your next two Premier League games, but you're not guaranteed to win your. They go straight into the semi final. Obviously, they'll get your semi final. Um, of the Club World Cup, I think they'd take the two Premier League games, you know, domestic and European football, Champions League football, still takes precedence by a mile. However, as a club, I think if there's any one club, this will mean a massive amount too. It's Manchester City and the whole connotations of it, where it's being played, um, the global nature of the sponsorship of it, um, this, you know, City want to put themselves on the global map. You know, they are on the global map, very much so. They want an even more prominent position, and this is how they do it. You know what you know what it's like, John. We were we were at a dinner um recently last month in Manchester, um, to one of our managers in the north. And City on I mean, how good did that look next to the next to the stage where we gave our awards, where City proudly brought in the Premier League trophy, Champions League trophy, the FA Cup, and the Super Cup that they won earlier this year. How much would they like at the next dinner before this season ends, if we have another one before in, in early in the new year, to bring along the Club World Cup as well, to go alongside those two, to, to hold those five trophies would mean a huge amount for Manchester City as a club. Again, I'm not saying the supporters will be particularly, you know, bothered about, what is it bothered? They want them to win, but they won't be, you know, particularly devastated if they lose. But the City as a club and everything about them, they would, um, and they would, they would love to win this cup. They, they really would. It will mean an awful lot to them. And I'm sure those in executive power, will be telling, well, I'm going to say telling, um, suggesting to Pep Guardiola and his players that, you know, look, this is this is Brazi. For example, if they win this Club World Cup and don't win the Premier League and maybe don't win the Champions League, would the season be seen as, as a success? Not in the players' eyes, but, you know, would the club then be able to say, well, you know, we've won the Club World Cup, we've won the Super Cup, they wouldn't see it as a, a as a triumphant season, but they see it as a good one. I think it means a lot to them. Don't forget this. We're going to see in generations to come FIFA's massive attempts. Which did they start next year? The Club World Cup will be expanded, you know, and it will only FIFA in this sort of quiet battle between FIFA and UEFA. Um, they will only try and make the FIFA Club World Cup even more of a prestigious competition. So I think it's a really for City as a club, it's a really big, um, a really big week out in in, in Saudi next week. Yeah, no, it'd be, be, be very interesting. I think really good. Right, Andy, thanks so much for your company. Really nice to see you, Pleasure. and um, hope everyone's enjoyed it. See you same time. See you on Sunday. Yes, looking forward to it. That'll be what a cracking that that ga- that game will be for Liverpool and for United. Cracker, brilliant. Look forward to it. 